lot's been talked about for a long time now. I feel like a lot has to go into place. There needs to be things that, that go into action. And around the Miami Marlins organization, it's you're starting to see it. And it's not just our, our team, it's multiple teams in the league. And I feel like it, there's definitely a change going to be happening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast, the first episode of 2021. I'm Jordan McPherson. First off, I want to wish everyone a happy new year as we continue to progress through this offseason. We're about five weeks away, five, six weeks away from spring training and slowly but surely getting some movement and slowly but surely starting to see how this team is going to start shaping up. That soundbite you heard at the beginning of this episode, that was from Monte Harrison, Marlins outfielder during the Player Alliance's pull-up neighbor tour stop that came to Miami on Tuesday, the latest in their 30-some-odd city cross-country tour. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later on in the episode. But first, we have some off-season news to discuss. That's right, there's finally movement. The hot stove's heating up. Okay, it's simmering, but movement's movement, news is news, and we finally have some stuff to discuss with the Marlins. Uh, their fir- it's their first big big league free agent signing. Uh, they signed left-handed pitcher Ross Detweiler to a one-year deal, and they all the Marlins have also announced their first wave of non-roster invites to spring training. A lot of familiar faces, a lot of the younger guys who have alternated and played a little bit of time in the big leagues last year for the Marlins. But the group's headlined by veteran catcher Sandy Leone, who hopefully is going to be able to help add some competition to this catcher group. But let's start with Detweiler first. He's 34 years old. He's the former sixth overall pick back in the 2007 MLB draft by the Nationals. He's a lefty. He's bounced back and forth between starting and relieving. He's played in 224 career games, including 95 starts and one complete game back in 2009. But it's looking like he's going to be in a bullpen-type role for the Marlins, considering how he played in 2019. His career numbers... They're not exactly that earth-shattering. I mean, it's a 4-5-6 ERA over 673 in the third innings. 415 strikeouts against 243 walks. Uh, opponents are hitting 283 against him for his career. But he did show some interesting tweaks in the shortened 2020 season, his second and final year with the Chicago White Sox. Had a 3-2 ERA, but again, it was only 19 two-thirds innings, so... How much we can gauge from that small sample size is to be determined. But what was interesting was he more or less completely revamped his repertoire in terms of his pitch mix, his style, what he's planning on using. Uh, 2020, he relied on his slider more than he did in any point in his career. He threw with 30.5% of the times based on uh, metrics from StatCast, Baseball Savant. Uh, pitch averages about 83 miles an hour, and he got swings and misses 34% of the time. And then he also has two fastballs, a sinker that he uses against lefties, a four-seamer he uses against righties. But the one thing that's going int- to intrigue me is if he's able to maintain that over the course of 162, and also exactly how the Marlins use him. Is it going to be in the one-two inning spurts like he's been doing the last couple years? Or is he going to revert into a long relief role and sort of compete with Rule 5 pick Paul Campbell or some of the other guys that the Marlins have? Possibly Dan Castano, possibly Nick Knight or Jordan Holloway, unless the Marlins really want to use them full-time as starters. His role, it's undefined at this point, but we'll see exactly how that unfolds as the Marlins continue to overhaul this bullpen, which 
doesn't have a lot of familiar faces left from last season. Uh, on their 40-man roster, they only have, by my count, three guys who threw at least 10 innings with the big league team last year. Yimmy Garcia, James Hoyt, and Richard Blyer, who at this point look like are going to be the back-end guys with Yimmy expected to be the front-runner to be the closer. And that just, the signing of Detweiler, a guy who, again, has a career 4-5 ERA, when there are so many other guys with experience on the back end of a bullpen out there in free agency, it sort of speaks to where Kim Ang and the organization is feeling like it's going to be going this year. And other guys, obviously, they've brought in Adam Simber. They have the two guys from the Rule 5, a Paul Campbell directly from the Rule 5, and then Zach Pop, who they traded with the Diamondbacks after the Diamondbacks took him in the Rule 5 draft. So that's already seven guys out of your bullpen. Your eighth spot is probably going to be, if you're keeping everything in-house, one of uh, one of Jeff Brigham, uh, potentially Dan Castano, Nick Neider, Jordan Holloway, if they want to continue using those three in long-relief type roles. Alex Vessia, to add another lefty into the bullpen, could also help, especially with the with the NLEs having so much talented left-handed hitters, it could provide some intrigue to have an extra left-handed guy in the bullpen. And to quickly touch on Sandy Leon, I like the signing, especially knowing that it's a non-roster fight. He's sound defensively. He's one of the better framers who is out there on the market. And looking at what Chad Walk and Jorge Alfaro have done over the last couple of years, the Marlins know that they need to find a way to improve defensively. Whether that's going to be directly having Leon overtake someone on the roster, whether it's carrying three guys, to three catchers during the season, or just hoping that what Leon knows and his talent, his experience, is able to rub off on Wallach and Alfaro during spring training, it was needed. They were going to have to do something to make sure that they're able to improve there. And obviously, Leon isn't the Best of hitters. He's only a career 216 hitter, 27 home runs, 52 doubles, and 300 some odd games. But he is also a switch hitter. So you do have a little bit of that to factor into decisions that are going to go on there. But again, Alfaro is still your main your main guy from an offensive standpoint when it comes to the catchers, but they need to find ways to improve defensively there. And finally, on the rumblings and rumors and what might be coming. The Marlins have mentioned several times this offseason that they would like to add a bat in free agency if they can. And just looking at how the roster is constructed and who they brought back and what pieces need to be filled, it's looking like it's going to be a guy who's going to basically take that Matt Joyce type role. A corner outfielder potentially got someone to platoon in right field. And and if it's going to be replacing Matt Joyce, you would assume it's going to be a left-handed bat considering... The only lefties the Marlins have are, as of right now, are Corey Dickerson, uh, Jazz Chisholm, and or Isan Diaz, whoever really gets that second base role, and Magnari Sierra, if he's still on the roster. And a couple names that have been surfacing on the rumor mill, uh, Adam Duvall, obviously he's a righty, but he does fit that corner outfield outfielder bench bat type role. And Yasiel Puig's name has been coming up again. Obviously, the offseason is still young. We still have about a month or so to go. Nothing is set in stone yet. We'll keep monitor, monitoring all of this and any other developments as we get closer. Again, there's about a month to go. So whether it's full-on big league signings, trades, or non-roster invitees, 
there's going to have to be movement at some point unless we're just going off of the Marlins just sticking with what they have at this point. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the Marlins' involvement with the Players' Alliance and what the organization did with, with that stop in South Florida earlier this week. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're back, everyone. Uh, As I mentioned right before this break, uh, the Players' Alliance... It's a nonprofit organization comprised of active and former Major League Baseball players. Their goal, as they when they created, when they founded themselves back in June, they have a vision of an inclusive culture within baseball. They want to try to try to expand expand opportunities for black players to get more involvement in MLB, both from a playing perspective and in front office, executive, post baseball career type roles, and. The group over the last six months, they've done a lot. I mean, they've back on when the league celebrated Jackie Robinson Day, everybody who's part of the group, which is 150 former and current players and counting, they donated their game day salaries to their fund, which totaled over a million dollars. MLB matched that million dollars. And even before that, MLB and the Players Union combined to donate $10 million to their Give back, give back fund, which helps with with purchasing bats, gloves, balls, any other sort of baseball equipment to give to underprivileged communities, underserved communities. And since the start of December, they've partnered up with Pull Up and they've started a cross-country tour that from December through the end of January, they're hitting close to 30 different cities throughout the country. And they made it to Miami on Tuesday, specifically Overtown's Gibson Park. And there were close to two dozen current and former players there. From the Marlins side, Monty Harrison, Lewis Brinson, and Jazz Chisholm were the three active players who were there. A CEO, Derek Jeter, showed up. Former Marlins, Cliff Floyd and Charles Johnson were there. And other players who either are living in South Florida or have ties to Miami. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. was there. John Jay was there. Uh, Coral Springs native and former Florida Gator, who I covered a couple years when he was at UF, Jonathan India was there. And it was two hours. It was a drive-through distribution, but there were a lot of kids who walked up with their parents, got to interact with the players, got to get some autographs, got to take some pictures, and got to see players who look like them, got who are who they have a chance to aspire to be like have players who could potentially be be icons for them. Sort of like for Jazz Chisholm, for example, he's mentioned many times how 
Derek Jeter was his idol growing up. He was one of the guys who he aspired to be like. And then you fast forward to today, and the two of them were working side by side at a community service event. And it really hit home for Chisholm that now that he's here, now that he's gone through a year in the big leagues, he has the chance to be that guy for the next generation of baseball players. And it makes them take a step back and think about how it's bigger than just baseball itself and it's how much of a role they can play in the community at large. And on the Jeter note, he wasn't publicized as being an expected attendee. When we were told about who was going to be there, it was we were told about a couple of the other former Marlins players. We knew that Jazz Chisholm, Monte, and Lewis Brenton were going to be there. But Jeter showed up about 10, 15 minutes before it started. He talked with a group of about five kids who played baseball at Everglades High, who they all got autographed balls. They got new gear. And Derek took about three to four minutes to just talk with the five of them by himself. He kept everything focused on, on the community and what they were doing and did what he could to try to make sure that the, the limelight wasn't on him. And, and again, this is just the latest example of Derek Jeter and the Marlins at large doing things in terms of community outreach and also showing that they are supportive of racial justice and social equality, which we've seen the signs throughout the entire year. I mean, right before the home opener, they put the banner in, in uh, left center field, the Black Lives Matter, United for Change placard, the same one that GMs had during the 2020 draft. Uh, when they celebrate, when MLB celebrated the Negro Leagues back in August, the Marlins wore jerseys of the Miami Giants, which was the semi-pro baseball team down here in the 1930s that regularly played against the Negro Leagues. Uh, and then we all know what happened on August 27th, uh, following the police shooting of Jacob Blake, the Marlins and the Mets postponed their game up in City Field. They had the 42-second moment of silence. Lewis Brinson draping the Black Lives Matter t-shirt over home plate. Uh, and just in general, the Marlins front office just actively encouraging players to share their viewpoints and telling players that their voices weren't going to be restricted as the Black Lives Matter movement continued to unfold. And they've held true to to the words that they've said and are letting the players speak their mind. And at this point, I've been rambling long enough. I'm going to let the players speak their mind. Uh, I had the chance to talk with Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison, and Jazz Chisholm on Tuesday about the players' alliance in general and about Derek Jeter's support for them on social justice and racial equality and them letting them speak their mind. So I'm going to let the three of them take the floor from here. Man, it's huge just to know, like, when CCNM came out with it, uh, it's a big deal, you know what I mean? Especially being a black dude in baseball, it's, it's such a big deal. And uh, seeing the tour so far, man, and how many people are coming out and kids and all that, and making people smile, man, and I definitely gonna, think it's going to be a fun time here to do it, too. It's dope, man, just because he the cat, you know what I mean, number two. So uh, when a person like that comes out and shows his passion and his type of uh, – Eyes in this type of event, I mean, it's, it's a big deal, you know what I mean? And I, I, I give taps to him to be out here because he doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? It's easy to throw money. It's even it's better when you can show your time in your face, you know what I mean? And I, I kudos him for that. When we heard the names Grandy and CeCe and Cameron Maven and D Gordon, we knew it was going to be automatically 
you know, a great situation for for uh, Major League Baseball and, and just the community because they have their different foundations and they do a bunch of stuff in the community. So as soon as they brought it to my attention, uh, Cam called me and uh, told me about the group chat, told me about the Player Alliance and what they were trying to do. You know, obviously I was all in. And anything that he puts his hands on, anything that CC or Grandy or yeah. any of those guys put their hands on, EJ, um, you know, I want to follow that. So uh, those are definitely mentors. I, I uh, talk to Cam. Whenever I have a question about baseball, life, or anything, I talk to Cam. Um, we can all reach out to them whenever we want, talk to Grandy whenever, um, if we have any questions about anything. But uh, as soon as they put their name on it and they put their stamp on it, I think we are all in. I mean, like I told you, I've been looking up to Derek for years. When I was a small kid watching him on TV. And now finally getting to meet my, my, my icon, basically, and talking to him and watching him do this with me, you know what I mean? Like, because when I was younger, I used to just watch it on TV, but now I'm out here and I see him still out here showing his face and doing, but giving back to the community, it just makes me wonder, like, everything's bigger than baseball, you know? Like, the community and everything. So, I love that he's still super down to earth with everybody, and he's just a humble guy. It feels like I'm giving back to home, you know. I'm from the Bahamas, but I grew up in Florida as well, so I'm basically giving right back to my to, to my community as well. And I mean, it's nothing better than giving back to the community. Uh, for you to be in the position specifically, you just finished your first year in the big leagues. People are starting to recognize who you are. Just what does it feel like to be in that spot when you probably had people idols growing up when you were a kid to just sort of being see that role reversal there? I mean, it's always an eye-opener for you because, I mean, growing up, I, it was certain guys I looked up to that made me become who I am, and I always wanted kids to become, to say, oh, if it wasn't for Jazz or if Jazz didn't do this one day, I would have never been where I was at, you know, like, just, just to change their look on life. All right, everyone, and that's going to do it for this episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much again for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Thanks so much.